Neuro Pathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, psychiatry, neurosurgery, and neurorehab. The trigeminal or fifth cranial nerve is one of the most widely distributed nerves in the head. Its three branches conduct sensations from the face and oral cavity to the brain. When trigeminal neuralgia is present, the neuropathic pain that results from the disorder can be extreme and sporadic. It can cause sudden burning or shock-like pain that could be absolutely debilitating. In today's episode of Neuropathways, we're addressing the challenging diagnosis and treatment of this debilitating condition, also referred to as Tic de la Rue. I'm your host, Alex Ray Grant, neurologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. I'm very pleased to be joined by Dr. Imad Estamalik, head of the section of headache and facial pain and a staff neurologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. Imad, welcome to Neuropathways. Thanks for having me. First, let's start with a couple of easy questions. Uh, where are you from and how did your career land you at Cleveland Clinic? So I was born and raised in Egypt. I lived there most of my life. Six years I lived actually in Germany as well. So I started in Germany, then lived in Egypt. I moved to the U.S. in 2008, did residency and fellowship here at the Cleveland Clinic. It was too good to leave, and I stayed here as staff as of 2013, and I've been here since. And it's a pleasure to have you with Thank us. Thank you. All right, well, let's begin kind of broad. Tell us about the prevalence of trigeminal neuralgia. Who gets affected, and what other concerns can present with this? So trigeminal neuralgia is actually not a very common disease. So if you look at prevalence, maybe four to five out of 100,000 get affected. Uh, it affects women more than men for a reason we really don't know. And it is a disease of the elderly. Now, when it occurs at any age, it usually warrants a very thorough workup. In young patients, we worry about disease like multiple sclerosis. In elderly, we worry about brain tumors, for instance. So anytime we, we uh, have a presentation of trigeminal neuralgia, we right away gotta think of a secondary cause still proven otherwise. Obviously, there are a number of causes for facial pain, and getting a correct diagnosis is critical and I guess can be challenging. Correct. So tell us about how you, your team works these patients up initially and determine you know, if trigeminal neuralgia is present or if it's something else. So the first task is always to ensure that the diagnosis is correct. We often see referrals where trigeminal neuralgia is the diagnosis, but we find something completely different. So you already elaborated on the presentation. So typical trigeminal neuralgia presents with episodic, sharp, shooting, burning-like pain within a distribution of the trigeminal nerve. Patients are usually pain-free in between episodes, and the pain's usually aggravated by chewing, eating, teeth brushing, and it affects usually the second or third division of the trigeminal nerve. Often we see patients that were labeled as having TN, but the but their diagnosis actually very different. So what is the main differential for this kind of presentation? So there is some very distinct headache types that can mimic trigeminal neuralgia, and we call those the TACs or trigeminal autonomic cephalgias. So for instance, presentation like cluster headache is sometimes mistaken for trigeminal neuralgia because the pain can be sharp, quick, and then it just goes away. Then there's another presentation that comes on like short-lasting neuralgia form attacks, which are sunk and suna. These are also very quick stabbing sensations in the V1 or ophthalmic division of the trigeminal nerve. But when we make the actual diagnosis of TN, then we can go to the next step. And the next step is always to ensure that the right workup has been done. 
I cannot stress enough the importance of brain imaging when it comes to making the accurate diagnosis. And it's not just any type of brain imaging. We really look for sophisticated brain MRIs, things with ciscuts or fiestas, where we can identify any compression for the trigeminal nerve at its entry at the pons level, at the meckelscapes, to see if there's anything compressing there. However, one important aspect when we get the brain imaging is to exclude the secondary cause. Things like multiple sclerosis is always on our list, especially in young patients. Certain brain tumors at the cerebropontine angle are also quite common to cause that. And often we see metastatic brain lesion as well that's already found its way at the Meckelscave and causing some sort of trigeminal neuropathy or trigeminal nerve pain as well. So that is usually the most important aspect when it comes to approaching the disease uh, at the presentation. So like all centers at the Neurological Institute, you lead a multidisciplinary team of specialists and they share in the care of these patients. Talk me through the medical and procedural modalities that you may use with your team. So the way we look at it is we always like to have the patient first seen in our headache section by one of our headache specialists or neurologist to a, again, like I said, to ensure the accurate diagnosis has been made, the workup has been concluded, but then more importantly is for the patients to exhaust all uh, pharmacological treatments and procedural treatments before really sending them to a neurosurgeon. So we work closely with the neurosurgeons even when they see the patients first in having them first come to the headache section, get the right workup, exhaust all the treatments, and then at a later point when, when for instance, the, the treatments are not working anymore, then we can discuss the surgical approach. Now, the vast majority of patients do respond to the initial treatment, so that is the good news. Now, some of these drugs that we use, things like uh, seizure meds, antidepressants, skeletal muscle relaxants, though they work, they often have side effects. So it's really trying to work with the patient on the best medical option. There are certain procedures that are very simple, things like trigeminal nerve blocks, onobotulinum toxin injections. They can also provide pain relief. So our goal is really to exhaust all these options before going to the next step or the last step, which is usually the surgical intervention. And again, we have a group of physicians, neurologists, headache specialists, surgeons that work really closely together in, in really setting the treatment plan. The one thing we always tell our trigeminal neuralgia patients, this is a chronic illness. We are not going to cure this right away, and the likelihood that it's going to be there, it's very, very likely. So are there some factors that would lead one to think about you know, moving to the surgical and more procedural side of things? I mean, patient factors, how much medicine they've tried, how long it's gone, any kind of indicators that you guys use? So for young patients, we often try to avoid surgery as much as possible because there's a high reoccurrence rate with any type of procedure. Uh, patients' age, comorbidities play, play a huge role. What kind of surgical option is, it would also be available to them? So what are the surgical options? So the most prominent surgery and one of the most successful surgeries is the microvascular decompression. And for the MVD or microvascular decompression, to be an option, there is something very important that we always need to identify first, and that is if there is an actual vessel compression that is identified on the MRI. The most common offending vessel tends to be the SCA or the superior cerebellar artery followed by a vein. So again, if we find that offending vessel and it's very evident on, in, in brain imaging, that is usually an indicator that the microvascular decompression, should it be appropriate for the patient, would be an indication. 
let me talk about some of these surgical options. So again, the MVD, it is the only non-destructive surgery that is performed. So the surgeon usually performs a retromastoid craniotomy. It's done, of course, under general anesthesia. They expose and then retract the cerebellum until they have the trigeminal nerve really visible, and then they can decompress the nerve. Patients usually spend two to three days in the hospital, then they're out. But the vast majority of patients do really well. Initial pain relief, somewhere around 95 to 100%. So they're really good. At five-year, 10-year, the numbers are also really good compared to some of the other procedures. Now, if, for instance, we don't find that offending vessel or the patient is not appropriate for such a surgery, the other procedures that I call the less invasive, which are things like gamma knife or glycerol injections, which also work well for patients, uh, but again, the likelihood of reoccurrence with some of these other procedures tend to be higher than the microvascular decompression. So what is gamma knife? It's a, it's, it's a form of a radiosurgery where the patient actually wears a helmet and then the surgeon radiates the nerve. And depending on the amount of radiation, they can really reduce the pain as well. This kind of procedure doesn't come without uh, a risk. So some patients with more than one gamma knife, for instance, or if the radiation is too high, can develop a condition called anesthesia dolorosa, which is a permanent destruction of the nerve, and that can give the patient permanent pain. So we're very cautious in terms of not only which procedure or surgery we choose for the patient, but how many procedures or surgeries can the patient have. So how do you guys determine in an individual patient, you know, which way you're going to go? So every patient is, like you said, it's, it's an individual approach, but what we do is really a team approach. So as neurologists and headache specialists, we communicate about every patient with our colleagues in neurosurgery and see what the best option is. We always want to ensure that whatever treatment modality we identify is going to benefit the patient for the longest time before we really get to the surgical approach. Again, other factors that we also put in consideration is, is patients' comorbidities. If we identify any psychological or psychiatric uh, uh, disorders that are associated, we have a group of psychologists that really help patients with such a chronic illness and chronic pain disease also to, to cope better with this. So it's really a very, very interdisciplinary approach that many team members play a role in. So I understand that your surgical throughput has increased somewhat in the recent years. Correct. So tell us how you brought the medical and surgical specialists together to really move things along for people in need. So this is a decision we took where we really identified the key players in our operations when it comes to handling uh, this patient population better. And what we found is if we can triage these patients correctly from the beginning and, and direct them to the right physician early on, they would have a much better chance of being managed in a better way. So that would involve our nursing teams, our administrative teams that really play a role looking at every patient, setting a long-term treatment plan, and then identifying where this patient needs to go. Not every patient needed to see a surgeon right away, for instance, but the ones that saw us and we could identify right away that they would be surgical candidates, we accelerated and we improved their access to the neurosurgeons right away. So it really comes down to a very thorough triage process that we created and when we started this actually in uh, 2018, and we have even seen not only a higher number of patients that were triaged, but also our surgical volume went really up. And that meant that we did a really good job identifying the right patients and helping more patients get to see us that typically would, would have not been able to do that before. So in closing, let me ask you for any final thoughts or things that your team has learned you can share with our listeners about treating patients with trigeminal neuralgia in their own practice. I think the most important aspect about trigeminal neuralgia is we always have to be very upfront about the chronicity of the disease with the patient. So 
And that, I always tell patients that right up front, it's not a curable disease. We manage it, we can get the pain under control, we can improve the quality of life dramatically, but the likelihood that this disease will be chronic and permanent is very high. So setting the expectations early on really helps the patient understand the disease better and adhere to the treatment modalities that we offer. The second aspect is really the workup. I mean, the right workup is always very essential. Uh, getting the right brain imaging. It always has to be a brain MRI with and without contrast, an MRI circle of Willis. And again, as I mentioned before, certain thin cuts that need to be there so we can really identify the vessel compression uh, early on. And then the third aspect is patients should never be referred to a surgeon right away. And our surgeons are in complete understanding and we're all on the same page that this should always be the last option because if the, the disease really occurs again at an early age, uh, repeated surgeries or procedures can actually be counterproductive. So patients need to exhaust the medical options, procedural options before really going to the uh, surgical uh, route at the end. Well, Ahmad, I appreciate you taking the time to talk us through this challenging condition. And I, I certainly hope our listeners do as well enjoy this. So thank you for joining us on Neuropathways. Thanks for having me today. This concludes this episode of Neuropathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast, or subscribe to the podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our Consult QD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash neuro, or follow us on Twitter at MD. all one word, that's at CLEClinicMD on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.